This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hey, welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. I'm Nick Ashburn. And good morning, I'm Sandy Hunt. And it is so good to be here with you, Sandy. It's true, we have not hosted together in a little bit. Exactly. And, you know, I, I'm just going to put it out there. I think we're the favorite host combo. We're a fan favorite. I sampled two listeners. They're my parents. They agree. You know. <laughs> right, exactly. The, I pulled my family and 100% of respondents said, yes, we love Nick and Sandy. So we hope you do, too. <laughs> but welcome to the show. We're Dollars and Change, and we're live on SiriusXM every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. You know, our show is about the intersection of business and social and environmental impact. We've seen this evolve over many decades. You know, people, there's this often this concept around two-pocket thinking, you know, mm-hmm. like I... I'm a consumer and an investor on in one pocket and I am a, you know, I support nonprofits or I volunteer and I give philanthropically in the other pocket and never shall the two meet. Mm -hmm. And that has dramatically changed over the last 10 to 15 years. And so that's what our show is all about is exploring the different organizations, the different leaders and how they come together and how they think about social impact. So what is exciting about today's show is we sort of get to explore a variety of ways that's happening. And, you know, we get to start off first with Mahmoud Khan, who is the vice chairman and chief scientific officer at PepsiCo. So big, massive brand, and they're doing some really interesting things. So we look forward to talking to to Mahmoud about that. Uh, In our next segment, we'll be talking to Allison Azaria, who is with Fetch Responsibly, which is a brand new company. But interesting, we're going to go from this big corporate to a company that's trying to match innovators, you know, early entrepreneurs maybe not early stage, but like social entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. who say, hey, we're innovating in this space. Maybe you want to use our services. Maybe you want to acquire us because it's more expensive for you to do the R&D in-house. And so that's sort of, I think, what we're going to be talking about with Allison. And then our third and final guest will be Courtney McBeth, who is the special assistant to the president at the University of Utah. She's also the director of this new program that they're rolling out called the American Dream Ideas Challenge. And it sounds to me that they are hoping to seed innovative ideas to really drive inclusive economic growth, to build the middle class and ensure that we have long-term sustainability in this country. Um, but that's about all I know. So I look forward to speaking more with, with Courtney, whom we also know and is a friend of the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. And of course, our final segment um, at 930 here on the East Coast will be an open segment where Sandy and I will be recapping our guests and talking about sort of some news items. And that's also a great opportunity for you, the listener, to call in and chat with us. You can always call in and ask a question directly to our guests or to Sandy and me. But that last segment is also a really great opportunity for folks to to join the conversation. And you can do that in a couple of different ways. Give us a ring at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can shoot us an email, businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Follow us on Twitter at BizRadio111 or even our department and show handle at Wharton Social. That was a lot of information, but lots of ways to get a hold of us. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show Mehmood Khan, Dr. Mehmood Khan, who is the vice chairman and chief scientific officer at PepsiCo. Welcome to the show, Mehmood. 
Well, good morning. Thank you, Nick and Sandy. Great to talk to you. Yeah, we are so delighted to have you and so excited to dive into all of the really interesting social and environmental impact things that you all are integrating at PepsiCo. But let's start first with a little bit about you, Mehmood. Who are you? What's your role? And, you know, what's your background? Well, as you said, my role is to head up uh, all of uh, PepsiCo's global R&D and across all of our brands and all across all of our regions in the world. And in addition to that, I lead the global um, performance with purpose agenda, which is uh, integrating the purpose side of our business, uh, including planet, uh, product, and people. I'm sure we're going to get into that. My background is uh, pretty straightforward but unusual. I started my career as a medical doctor trained uh, in endocrinology, practiced at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, went from there to the pharmaceutical industry into drug development and uh, ultimately became president of one of the uh, of R&D, one of the big pharmaceutical companies and then 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago, joined Indra Nui soon after she became CEO uh, as um, head of R&D and progressed from there. Well, that's such an interesting career path um, from a medical doctor all the way to the chief scientific officer at PepsiCo. And one of the things we're always, you know, interested in and curious about is where, you know, who who in the C-suite ends up being responsible for some of these impact initiatives? You see the marketing, you know, sometimes chief marketing officer, sometimes it comes out of operations. This is the first time I've ever seen a chief scientific officer at the helm of one of, um, you know, a major corporate impact you know, shop. So how did it come to be, Mahmood, that Performance with Purpose sat under you? Is this something that Mary naturally came out of the R&D work? Was it something you're passionate about? Did it come from your, you know, passion for medicine and, and helping people? Tell us a little bit about the history there. Look, it's a combination. I started my career originally after doing my residency in general medicine and before I went into endocrinology. I actually went to graduate school and studied food science at the College of Agriculture Used to Minnesota. So I had a background that was relevant. You sound uniquely qualified for this role. <laughs> and so I was um, very attracted to the opportunity of this bridge. I've always been interested in this bridge between uh, the food system and human nutrition and health. And so um, that was the background interest. The second is if you're trying to integrate and find solutions that are going to help at scale across agricultural issues, food and nutrition issues, and human health, um, then R&D is fundamental to finding those solutions, whether it's within the company or it's in the ecosystem with which we partner. Um, the core to it are the sort of skills, the technical skills. And, of course, you can't, no one or part of the organization can do it. It's whoever's going to help integrate and steer and coordinate all the pieces. And then you bring in the rest of the organization, and, and my key partners, of course, are, as you say, the brands, our supply chain, our operations, our financial systems, our foundation. It, this is a job of, of, I would say, coordinating, quarterbacking, and integrating rather than uh, being responsible for doing all of the pieces oneself. That's not possible. And, you know, one thing that I noticed when I was looking up some of the work that you're doing is there's sort of a pretty clear statement that PepsiCo believes that you know, this, this, these activities, these social and environmental activities, you know, quote unquote, operating responsibly to protect our planet and empowering people around the world enables PepsiCo to run a successful global company. So this is a business imperative for you all. Is that, is that an accurate reflection? Absolutely. So I actually don't 
often use this term corporate social responsibility. It all, almost implies a sort of a non-profit um, agenda of, of social causes. Uh, we believe that if you're going to run a successful business for the long term, not the short term, but the long term, successful businesses thrive in ecosystems and communities that themselves are viable. So there's this relationship, the critical relationship between an operating business and the community it serves. And that community is not just our customers who consume our products, it's our employees, it's the communities where they live, it's the agricultural infrastructure, it's the transportation, all of that, right, is our ecosystem. And if that's not viable, then we're not a viable business. This is a win-win for both sides and has to be. I, I don't actually think there's any other way. And we applaud that. It's it's rare to hear that long game sort of articulated by folks, especially in like consumer packaged goods that can have such um, such a drive on quick returns and quarterly earnings. But to talk about the, the full ecosystem view and the stability and health of the world as being important to your business is great to hear. I read that you have three main uh, sort of focus areas, helping to improve health and well-being um, through the products you sell, protecting our planet, and empowering people around the world. Certainly, Pepsi is a $63 billion, you know, in, in revenue 2016 size company, has the power to impact a lot of things. How did you land at those three goals? So, you know, we looked at this and when we first started the journey 10 years ago, and we've evolved, right? And I had the pleasure and honor of helping lead part of that 10 years ago uh, when we thought about this as human sustainability, environmental sustainability, and then talent sustainability. That was our original. And we, as we, we've always said, you've got to look at all three pillars, which is the products we make, the environment, uh, environmental footprint that we have, uh, and then ultimately the people. We, in our first phase, were very inward-focused. That was the people that we employed, that we looked at our own products, and, of course, our own operations. Over 10 years of doing this, it became clear that the greatest impact we're going to have is not just to look within our own four walls, which we continue to do, and in many areas, truly lead the industry. I can give you some examples of that. But we had to look much broader. So as an example, when we talk about people, we're not just talking about the people that are employed at PepsiCo. But as I said, we go all the way to the farmhand and the farm worker that works on the farms that produce the ingredients and grow the crops that produce the ingredients that go into our products. And so as we did this, it became clear, and that's why we landed on these three. The products are the products, of course, we make, and we have a control of that and, and serve our customers and consumers. The environment, that's the planet goal, and we call that the planet pillar, and then, of course, the people part. Um, and a key part of that also is looking at underserved communities, looking at women, empowering women, uh, again, across the communities that we, we operate in. And so, Mahmoud, you know, I, obviously, when I think of PepsiCo, I think of Pepsi, the drink, but there are a lot of different brands under the PepsiCo umbrella. Can you help our listeners understand the breadth of the types of brands that they may recognize and give us an example of where some of these practices, whether it's through the products or the planet or people, where that, that really comes to life. So most people are often surprised to hear this, but the Pepsi brand is about a tenth of our business. Uh, and, yes, I am surprised uh, to hear that. <laughs> and so everybody immediately thinks, you know, okay, PepsiCo, and therefore the Pepsi brand. It's a great brand. It's about a tenth of our uh, our business. We have great brands under the Frito-Lay division, most, you know, just what everybody's heard of, Doritos, Cheetos, Tostitos, et cetera. I can go on. 
Uh, we have in our food businesses and our nutrition business a great brand, Quaker, and then smaller brands that are, people have now become aware, such as Sabra, the hummus company, uh, you know, Kavita, we recently um, integrated in kombucha. We have a significant dairy business in Russia. Lipton uh, is a joint venture with our partners at Unilever. Uh, and then Ready to Drink Coffees, uh, our partnership with Starbucks. So I can go on. We have a very, very broad, diverse portfolio. And the, and the juices business, of course, Tropicana uh, is a Pepsi brand, etc. In fact, we have 22 brands that are billion-dollar brands um, across the world. Now, how does all this come to life? They, it comes to life across all of our brands because uh, when I think about our performance with Purpose Agenda, I don't think of a single brand. I think of what it is we can do to make every one of our brands sustainable, whether it's the water we use. And we've been reducing our water use as an example in our direct operations. Since 2006, we reduced it by 25%. In fact, back in 2014, we won the Stockholm Water Prize, which is the top prize that industry can receive in terms of water initiatives. So we, we had external validation of our leadership. But we didn't stop there. We said, okay, we want to reduce another 25%. We've gone beyond that, and that was in our operations. Then we said, okay, but what we have to do is figure out how to return water uh, in a way in the, into the communities where we actually operate. So it's not, we want to take the water conservation initiatives directly in our uh, areas where water is a challenge. At about 50% of uh, where we operate around the world, the communities are water, uh, you know, challenged one way or the other. We've set ourselves a very uh, significant goal that basically says we're going to return 100% of the water we use in those communities back into the environment in that ecosystem. So it's not like we're going to take water from India and return it in Indiana. We're actually going to put it exactly where we take it from. So those are examples. Um, on the product side, of course, uh, the one that is most talked about is our ambition to reduce sugar uh, in our products. And we've set a goal that two-thirds of our products by volume by the year 2025 We'll have 100 calories or less, and we're well on our way. Uh, as an example, very quickly, uh, we have a great brand called 7-Up uh, around the world. Mirinda is another one around the world. And we've already uh, introduced uh, lower sugar products with 30% or less sugar in 60 countries. And by the way, when I say introduce, I don't mean add it to the shelf. I mean remove the full sugar product off the shelf and replace it completely with a lower sugar product. So uh, doing this uh, all over the world now uh, to do that. And I can give you lots of examples. We've led the industry in salt reduction and saturated fat reduction. And on the people side, I think the most powerful part is the fact that we have a code of conduct which applies to all of our employees and the way we treat our people. And we've said that uh, by 2025, Every one of our suppliers, no matter where you work in our supply chain, whether you work on the farm for, as a contractor for one of our suppliers or you work within PepsiCo as an employee, that code of conduct will be rolled out and applied to everybody. Um, so we're really looking at uh, leveraging our scale and our influence across all of these supply chains. And my hope is that that sets the bar of what is the norm for a good company to operate across the world. You know, the leaders, part of the responsibility of being a leader is you have to set the bar high and, uh, you know, set the standard 
and hope that others follow. And that's often been the case. So let me just stop there. I can go into more detail in any other areas. I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. And we're talking to Dr. Mehmood Khan, who's the Vice Chairman and Chief Scientific Officer at PepsiCo. Excellent. And Mahmoud, you gave some great examples there of the way Pepsi is sort of putting its commitment to people and planet to work. Let's dig into those. So I am very struck and impressed by this code of conduct commitment. So that I believe you said by 2025, any supplier in your supply chain, a subcontractor in, in your supply chain, the, the farmers um, at the end of the supply chain, they are all going to be expected to comply with Pepsi's code of conduct. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, that's I mean, that's very, very impressive. This is the first I've heard where the commitment to one code of conduct really extends to the entire supply Sandy. chain. Well, and Sandy, we talk we talk a lot about that scope of influence, mm-hmm. right? We in our in our research where where a company can really focus, and and I think at scale how the the far-reaching aspects of a place like PepsiCo is is quite tremendous. So, yeah, but but very often the expectation um, or sort of the. Uh, there's an easy out by saying it's only our employees that we can truly have control over in this way. So we can only really, you know, quote unquote, be responsible for people who are employed by PepsiCo officially. But you, you're going beyond that. Tell us um, why you made such a significant commitment and and how much work it is rolling this out. Well, let me start with a second question. Um, it's a lot of work. First, uh, <laughs> simply when you have thousands uh, of suppliers and tens of thousands of farmers around the world, all with contracts and, you know, legal relationships. Uh, every one of those has to be rewritten, renegotiated as that, and set as that expectation as it comes up for renewal. So I'm, I can tell you, if nothing else, I'm keeping supply chain operations in the legal department very busy <laughs> uh, rewriting all of this. So sometimes I get asked, why 2025? Why not next year? Well, when you're our size and you operate in 198 countries, it's going to take several years to get mm-hmm. through all the process, but we've set the bar, and that's that's as that's how it's going to be. Um, so it is a lot of work. Now, why? I think I'm, I would ask it the Why not? I mean, how can how can we uh, go to our consumers in every country, whether it's sitting here in New York or Chicago or Dallas, and go to our consumers and not be transparent and have the expectation? that whoever has been working on that product or helping produce it should have the same minimal rights that apply to one of our employees uh, through our code of conduct. So, um, you know, it's, it does take time as we learn and we continue to improve. I've got this simple model. We will learn, we will improve, and we'll continue from that to uh, move forward. That's a great motto. And I think sort of following up on that, you know, how will you learn? How will you improve that feedback loop? You know, when I when I really uncover some of the things that you are looking to do, like you said, products reducing added sugars, reducing reducing saturated fat, increasing positive nutrition or planet, positive water impact, low carbon emissions, people, advanced respect for human rights, you do have metrics and targets that are associated with those. And I think that's what when, you know, you could say, is this window dressing? Well, I in our work, I look at at least what you're publicly proclaiming and it seems very legitimate. So how are you having your, you know, employees think about tracking the progress towards some of these goals? Great question. So let's start with, you know, where where the origin for many of these is. Um, As I led the team and as we started as a team to think about what these metrics were, 
the key direction that we gave them was don't look internally into the company for the metrics and the standards. Look to the experts around you. So, for example, when we were looking at our carbon footprint um, metric, we went to the UN SDGs. And the United Nations, as you know, the Sustainable Development Goals, they had put in that a two degree centigrade uh, in terms of holding the temperature uh, of, the, of the planet is the target. We calculated from that what we would have to do as a PepsiCo system end to end to reduce in terms of carbon footprint to meet that external benchmark. Not easy, but it was an external benchmark Then we went back from that. Uh, so as an example, when we looked at sugar reduction, I had the team take a look at the WHO, the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes, all of the health leaders and said, what is the acceptable amount of sugar in a human being's diet? And just about everywhere you look, you typically get a number of around 10% of your calories. So that's about 200 calories of added sugar. We said, okay, our drink should have no more than half of that. Okay? So we, may, we didn't even want to go to the tour, and we said, take out and our allowance should be half or less. So we started to look at this. The same with salt. The American Heart Association, the CDC, says you need about 2,000 calories a day and about 2.5 grams of salt a day. That calculates out at about 1.3 milligrams per calorie. That became the benchmark that we said we're going to shoot for um, in our salty snacks uh, business. So those are examples. Look outside and then translate those into very measurable internal metrics. The third question you asked is how do we validate? We actually work with external parties. Uh, as an example, we have a sustainable farming initiative that we kicked off as a pilot to look at farm practices, labor practices, yield, water use. And we partnered with the University of Cambridge in England. Uh, we have a partnership with the University of Oxford in England. We have partnerships going on here at the University of Minnesota and the U.S., et cetera. Who have Maybe a- the University of Pennsylvania someday? Well, I don't think about U.S. Pennsylvania as a leading agricultural university. But sure. Certainly Pennsylvania State, we have a partnership. Uh-huh. Uh, but in health, of course, you uh, University of Pennsylvania and business, fantastic leadership. So we pick centers of excellence for whatever they have leadership in. And as you probably know, we, UPenn, we have a great uh, partnership around the health and uh, financial and business uh, metrics area. So, Yes. So I'm curious, part of these decisions that you're making to give consumers less sugar and less fat, you know, it goes against the old uh, marketer, you know, give the people what they want, right? Like people buy things that are high sugar. They buy things that are high fat. Americans are, you know, I've heard that our generation is going to be the first to live less long than our parents because of, you know, a lot of poor health choices, among other things. How do you make those decisions where... You know, a, a product that is high fat and high sugar might be selling particularly well, and changing it might change your market. How do you how do you make decisions on those potential trade offs? Well, first, Sandy, uh, I've seen yours and Nick's picture, so I doubt you and I are of the same generation. Either that or that picture is twenty years old. <laughs> I am admittedly uh, millennial. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of us as boomers, you know, my generation were very enamored with, um, you know, these traditional brands and what they're made of. The brands haven't changed, but the expectation of consumers from those brands have evolved. 
And so, first of all, consumers are asking, um, you know, what does this do for me? Is it good for my body? Is it not? They want to distinguish between something that they look at as healthy versus something that's a treat. Consumers still want the treats, but they are looking for A, choice, and B, uh, you know, information and transparency. So, uh, consumers have changed. So this is not going against where consumers are. This is actually going with the consumer. And uh, with good marketing, you can actually distinguish and differentiate your product. And with transparency, you actually then can provide the consumer the right information so they make the choices of your brands. And this, this is the wonderful partnership between the consumer marketing and product development uh, and our operations. So I don't look at this as anything against the consumer. I check it very much consistent. I have millennial children, you know, and uh, believe me, uh, it starts at home. They're the first to point out to me what they what they want and what they don't. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm struck to um, and you may have already discussed something that's your favorite. But when it comes to PepsiCo's strategy in this area, you that you guys highlight this thing called like A to Z, which I think just is sort of your way of saying, you know, from top to bottom through all of our things, we're thinking about social and environmental impact and how that integrates in the business. What What's one of those topics that really sticks out to you and that you're most proud of? Look, um, I don't have a favorite job, so let me... <laughs> I have to be very careful. Whichever part of the team is working on whichever one will be listening to this and going, oh, I'm the favorite. Uh, let me... But seriously... Look, what I'm most proud of is that unlike many organizations that have taken on a initiative, whether they've taken on the environment and uh, pollution or they've taken on packaging or they've taken on a product, we set about and said it's no good saying we're producing healthy products but the cost of the planet. Or we're going to really protect the planet but continue to make the same products Mm -hmm. we always did right, in a world where there's hunger, in a world where there's obesity. And uh, we're going to do the first two, but we're not going to focus on the workers that work on our farms. What I'm most proud of is the fact that we looked at a cross, and while we can't serve all the world, say, you know, uh, solve all the world's problems, we tried to integrate and create a balanced scorecard across all of this so that we were not compromising on one just to achieve the other. That is... A, unique, and B, the most difficult task to take on. And the fact that we've now progressed, this is our third year into it, and we continue to make progress across all fronts is what makes me proud. We haven't left anything behind. Uh, We've made sure we pushed on on everything in parallel. Some things are moving faster than others, and, of course, they always will, and you tweak. But the goal is to achieve all of them by 2025 and 2030, depending on the goal. That's what makes me proud of this team. And I have to say, none of this was possible. I'm the spokesperson for a phenomenal team at PepsiCo. Uh, From an HR point of view, by the way, for every job that comes open in in this team, we get hundreds of applicants within and from outside the company. People want to work onto this. So it's a great recruitment tool. Uh, Some of the brightest and best young people they're putting, they're putting their hands up and saying, can I do part of my training and rotation and career development on the team? 
Well, sign me up. Thing, I'll do it in addition to my current job. You don't even have to give me the job. I'll just work on it with you. Yeah, and that's, and that's very consistent with what we see in the talent pipeline here at Wharton going out into the world. Our students, they want that to be an integrated part of their of their professional experience. So they want to pick companies where that's an opportunity. They want that to be a part of rotational programs. Um, and it's very promising for, for – uh, departments like yours that the talent is so attracted to it. And I think the other thing, you know, when when I think about the business as a whole, whether it's talent or just the actual products that you're developing and, and then all of the business functions around it, you know, this could be an unfair assessment to say it could be easy for a consumer packaged good company to stagnate, to not be able to really innovate too much in this area. But when you think about integrating this across the entire business, it feels exciting. It feels innovative and really can lead to motivation. And, you know, I think that passion's coming out on the radio for, for us, Mahmood. And I, does that gut check with you? Absolutely. Look, uh, you know, I, I'm motivated because of the team around, you know, and across the organization. By the way, we still got industry-leading business performance as well. So it's not like all of this was exciting and then, you know, we're sort of so-and-so and okay on the business side. You saw and probably saw our earnings re- release from Indra Nui, our chairman, uh, only a few days ago. And uh, we beat expectations. And so at a time when our industry is challenged for growth and, and delivering, we continue uh, to um, perform very well. That's why we call it performance with purpose. We're going to perform as a business. We're going to do its purpose. And that's what's exciting. Mahmood, one of the things that we often talk to um, folks who are you know, directly consumer-facing in their sales about is how does how's the consumer expectation changing? And I think we've talked a little bit about the direct sort of health impact and people want healthier options. They still want treats, but they want transparency on those. What are you seeing in terms of how your uh, – how your consumers want to see Pepsi behave. We've seen an increase in expectations from consumers about, um, you know, companies having a voice on social issues, um, companies, you know, being more engaged politically. How is that coming into the mix with your work? So we listen to the consumer, obviously, very carefully. We listen to our stakeholders, and I think the consumer is more informed um, has access, of course, to unlimited amounts of knowledge and information. That's the power of the Internet uh, in ways that uh, even 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, was just not even possible, right? That's the, that's the amazing capability. The challenge in all of this, and I, you know, something I think about every day, uh, is we also have confusion. Uh, the experts, while they're able to voice their uh, position and opinion, don't always agree, and in fact often don't, depending on what their agenda is, and I can give you examples of that. Uh, the, that causes confusion in the consumer as well. What do you believe? If you just wake up in the morning and just ask yourself, what is the latest food that's good for you, it'll change by the day. Um, and then foods that were good for you suddenly are you know, now demonized, and etc. Similarly, uh, even on the planet side, uh, do you want to reduce carbon footprint or do you want to reduce um, waste? Uh, if I give you a biocompostable packaging, uh, it will eliminate waste from the environment, but the carbon footprint will not improve. But if I give you something that is not biocompostable, but we you know, bury it, of course that increases landfill waste, but re- improves the carbon footprint. So 
experts, uh, that's a very specific technical example. You get a few experts together, and we have to navigate this. So what we're trying to do is get all the perspectives in, and I'm a scientist, and say, all right, what looks like the best direction that will lead us the next five to ten years? We can't keep changing our operations on a 12-month basis just because somebody changed their mind. Uh, but imagine being a consumer in all of this discussion and all of this noise. It is not easy to navigate for those who have expert training, let alone for the lay consumer. Absolutely. There's a comedian who does a skit, and I can't recall it, but it's about like, you know, in the 80s, I ate tons of eggs, and then it was no eggs. Now I'm eating twice as many eggs. And, you know, it is very difficult um, to sort of parse out in these complex spaces, you know, do I buy the food that's healthy for me? and expensive and good for the environment? Can I make all those trade-offs? Which am I going to prioritize? Is the social impact of my family's health more important than the social impact of the dolphin's health versus more social? You know, like it, these yeah. are, food, food brings a it's lot a, of these to light. It's a complex matrix for sure. And Mahmoud, it sounds though, at the end of the day, you guys have a really interesting and I think important sort of North Star guiding principles that are that's driving this agenda forward. And as we wrap up this segment, what are you, you know, what's really on the horizon for you folks? What's what's really your goal in the future? You know, I think the goal has to be how do we, look, we've got a population right now on the planet of what, seven and a half billion people. The best projection is somewhere around nine to 10 billion uh, by 2050, definitely in both of your lifetimes. We're going to have two and a half billion more mouths to feed. Uh, most of the population of the world, somewhere around 90% of it, buys their food from the private sector. Industry is going to have to be a key um, contributor to figuring out how to feed 2.5 billion more people. There are a billion people hungry today, and we're running out of water. We're running out of arable land. And if we do not figure out how to, do, how to grow about 40, produce about 30 to 40% more food in a more sustainable manner, and critically, in a manner that more and more people can afford. Remember, a billion hungry people in the world, there are somewhere around 25 to 30 million or more people in the U.S. alone that are on the SNAP food stamps program, as we used to call it, that that are at the poverty line or below. We have to be able to provide sustainable food for everybody. That, to me, is the biggest challenge. And it's something that I think about every day uh, on behalf of my uh, personally, but on, the, on behalf of the company. And together, I think we can all figure it out if we put our heads together. Well, That's got to be the moonshot. One of the, you know, a, some massive challenges there, but also some really great opportunities. And so I think that's a great way to wrap up this segment. Thank you so much for joining us. That's been Dr. Mehmood Khan, who's the vice chairman and chief scientific officer at PepsiCo. We're going to take a short break, but stick with us. When we get back, we'll be speaking with Allison Azaria, who's the founder of Fetch Responsibly. This is Dollars and Change on Sirius XM. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 